podcast, starting you off with some Patreon bonus content uh, for my listeners, but also it is the State of the Libertarian Union talk show for members of the Libertarian Union at libertarianunion.com. And I am joined by friends Kyle Anzalone of Foreign Policy Focus and Stephen Clyde of the Peace and Liberty podcast. How's it going, guys? Uh, pretty pretty upset about the trump speech but i guess we'll talk about that (laughs) oh you're gonna be a downer well i'm doing well and you know it's (laughs) it's the weekend i'm having a good time i'm talking with uh two of my buddies about politics so even uh if we're gonna be talking about some serious shit here i'm trying to keep on the liar side we are it's saturday night and at least i'm drinking jägermeister i don't know about you guys I'm like drinking my last little bit of water here, and then I got to get some more water. I'm going to die. I'll be, right back. I'll be right back, Pack. I got some Jaeger. I'm going to go pour myself some and join you. Yay. <laughs> well, Steven, Steven is not drinking, and he's about to go to Nerd Group, right? Yeah, I don't drink. Oh, and we're joined by another fellow nerd. Oh, I know that guy. All right, all right, all right. Oh, let's get fired up here. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Whose music is that? <laughs> you figured out how to load the audio in through the mixer, Dan? That's right. Actually, we've known how to do this for a while. <laughs> I usually don't drink that much either, Stephen. But um, yet I'm drinking. And I think I've been drinking beers in the last couple episodes of my podcast. You know, I'll just be honest. I don't know if I've ever told you guys this. Um... It was like right after I got back from the Mises Institute from Mises University, I went to the doctor for a checkup and got some blood work done. And sh- the lady called me like a week later and said, hey, like your liver's not looking good. And I'm like, my liver's not looking good. I mean, yeah, I, I did drink a little bit. We drank every single night at Mises University, but I, otherwise <laughs> I never drink. I just don't drink. So, um, you know, you get a you're 26 years old, you get a call like that from the doctor. I was just like, man, I can I can go without alcohol. It's fine. But. I seem to be doing better now. It was kind of kind of a scary call to get because when they tell you like something internals messed up, you don't know what to do. It's just a real mental mind fuck. I'll just be honest. So, <laughs> yeah, that sucks, man. Sorry yeah, it, 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 it's just mostly mostly the mental aspect because I like dropped half my classes. I was like, man, I don't I don't want to be out too long. I don't know like what what could happen from that. You know, just one day your liver fails, and I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, I. Maybe it was just because I got a checkup right after drinking for like a week straight and we drank pretty heavily every night, but otherwise I don't drink. It's, um, I don't know what else would have, would have caused that, but yeah, it was pretty scary for a while. I'm doing better now. <laughs> I wonder if it was just from that. It I probably mean, was. Not, yeah. I mean, hopefully. I mean, I'm, I'm at least trying to mentally make myself believe that because, uh, you know, internal organ problems, uh, I'm too, too young for that, man. <laughs> yeah. Hell Yeah. Well, were you going to lead us off here? Um, sure. So um, basically what happened yesterday, if people weren't paying attention, Trump said he's going to sign a national emergency order related to the southern border. Now, this is something he's been talking about for a long time. He said he's going to do it. Um, it so there's a speech online, and we can link to it. It's about an hour long. And look, I'll be perfectly honest. I, I do share Trump memes sometimes. He tweets funny stuff. He's he's funny as a troll, but as a as a politician, he is very, very dangerous right now. Um, so, you know, I'll just talk about a few of the things he was talking about. He was saying one of the reasons we need to close off the border and build this wall or whatever is because of, uh, quote, the tremendous amount of drugs coming in from the southern border. And, of course, he doesn't mention the drug war at all. He doesn't even, you know, he wants to expand the drug war, not 
uh, shut it down to shut down the problem. Um, he's, he goes on to say, you know, everyone knows that walls work. He says that Israel's building another wall and theirs is 99% effective. Now, I know Kyle would mo know more about Israel than anyone else, but what do you think about Israel's wall? I mean, who are they trying to block from coming in in Israel? And like, do you really believe the 99% effective number? I just don't, it's kind of, it's such a random, it's a, such a random percentage, it seems. Yeah, I don't know what the actual percentage is. I'm assuming he means the, the border that separates um, Gaza from uh, the, the rest of Israel proper. Right. In that case, they just shoot everybody who comes within 100 meters of the border. Right. And so if Trump wants to shoot everybody that comes uh, you know, within a football field of you know the Mexican side of the border, then yeah, they could probably make sure that nobody crosses the border. I mean, if you're willing to be that ruthless to enforce it, then that's what happens. Even if you look at the other borders in Israel, though, uh, like the ones between the West Bank and Israel proper, uh, most of those there is a uh, you know just heavy checkpoint. Uh, you know, you have to go through the checkpoints, or they shoot you. And so if you're willing to use lethal, lethal force to, you know, enforce border laws and you're willing to put, you know, enough people on the border uh, to make sure that you could see every square inch of it so you could shoot everybody coming across, then hell yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess in that sense it's possible. Um, but short of doing that, but short of using lethal force, I don't see any way uh, to ever enforce a, a workable border policy. And I'll tell you guys what really flips my view on borders because I'm, I'm kind of confused about where I stand. I didn't know how much of the, you know, 19, uh, 1,954 miles is actually owned by private landowners. So, um, I'm, I have a working paper right now. I'm going to try to get it submitted to libertarian papers, which is a libertarian journal. But my thesis is this, that people who are open borders proponents and closed border proponents actually have their ideology backwards because, uh, Traditionally, open borders proponents would be against private property if we're talking about leftists who are open borders. And traditionally, um, closed border proponents would be for private property. So my thesis is going to be pretty, um, what's what's the word? It's going to be, a, it's going to cause a lot of commotion because my thesis is that, like I said, everybody has their views backwards because there's a large amount of people that own land along that southern border. And Trump has already mentioned, you know, we're going to use eminent domain to take it um, to take that land. And you have some landowners saying, look, I, I wouldn't take a trillion dollars. It's my land. Uh, it's about the principle. It's not about the money. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm working on that thesis right now. It's incredibly hard to find these numbers. I don't know because a lot of the, a lot, a lot of it's just the borders, just the Rio Grande river. That's basically where kind of the line is. So it's hard to say how much is privately owned, how much is publicly owned. And then at some point, it's just about the principle, you know, even if you had to kill just one person to take that land, it's still morally wrong. But we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people at, at, at a minimum. So I, um, and I think you're right, Kyle, he probably was talking about the border between Gaza and uh, the rest of Israel. I mean, come on, you know, people in Gaza are starving to death. I think the median age is something like 13, 14 years old. Um, they got nothing there. They literally have nothing. Right. Well, and I guess I should point out that they've actually used that lethal force to kill, I think, over 200 people now since March 30th of last year, when every Friday uh, the people of Gaza walk within uh, 50 or so meters of that border wall and uh, use maybe some rudimentary weapons like tying uh, flaming condoms to kites 
or throwing rots or, you know, putting burning tires up against the fence in order to like doctors. Yeah. You know, distort the sniper there. But the, the results have been from the Israelis as they have killed uh, innocent children. You could go online and see videos of a little 10 year old boy standing there, not even facing the fence and just dropping dead. The, the cameraman walks up and there's a bullet wound right in the head, almost, you know, like out of the movie, kind of horrific. Uh, there's been, you know, video evidence, doctors with their hands in the air, white vest, uh, journalists in their blue vest, which is like the internationally recognized, like blue vest means journalists don't shoot shot dead. And so if, if the Trump administration wants to enforce that kind of policy, yeah, he could, I guess, keep, you know, most people from crossing the physical land, barrier between the united states and mexico but is that really what we want to do yeah i don't know if you saw that one video kyle um so imagine you have someone that just got shot and they're on the ground rolling around and you have other palestinians coming over to try to help the person now imagine at the same time you have an israeli guard there with his gun and he's basically you know kicking the guy around on the ground not letting the people the people are trying to tend to him and like you know take him away from the area and not, the guy's just like standing in the middle with his rifle just like kicking the guy in the ground you you i mean this stuff just happens every single day and you're not even allowed to talk about it because um you know israel is pretty demonized in the media but based on that you can't even talk about it you can't even talk about the real things that are happening there uh it's totally bizarre it's totally bizarre well, yeah, I mean, the, the the consistent claim is that you're anti-Semitic, which means you're a Nazi, right. uh, which means you want to wipe out the Jewish people. If your position is that when you assess the situation of what's going on, on the ground right now in Israel, the Palestinians are clearly the victims of the Israeli state. That's what it is. And but but that statement alone is enough to get you killed. But you know, just uh, look at you know what happened in the the Gaza border, uh, you know, protests where they walk up to the fence, a uh, hundred or two hundred Gazans killed, and not a single Israeli soldier injured. So yeah, and the way Norman who's the victims of that? The way Norman Finkelstein describes it, um, I'm sure you guys know Norman Finkelstein. Finkelstein, um, he describes Gaza's weapons as more or less. Uh, low-grade fireworks, you know, the, 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 there's no way they're shooting missiles over. I mean, maybe they do at some point, but most of what they're talking about, how people are attacking the wall, they're throwing like, you know, like a bottle with like that's on fire, like rolling a, a, a fire tire or whatever, you know, it, it amounts to nothing and compared to the weapons that Israel has, it's just nothing. Yeah, real quick, and and then I'll kick it over to Pat to say something. Uh, personally, in 2012, there was uh, quite a bit of intense violence going on between Gaza and Israel. And they, I went on Twitter and I saw a whole bunch of pictures of the uh, rockets that you know the media was making a huge deal about uh, the Hamas firing at Israel. And then I saw pictures of them, and they were literally the rockets I was building for my science fair project. Right, and I was like holy shit like this this is like not you know what i thought it was at all i thought they were like shooting off like tomahawk 20 foot long ballistic nope not whatsoever or the you other claim that, the other, that, the other... that lands on your roof and it might not wake you up in the middle of the night so and the other claim <laughs> is that they like um they hold people hostage in hospitals and you know they keep their weapon they keep their weapon base in the bottom of hospitals like there's all these claims and it might might partially be true but i think just the big picture you know israel gets billions and billions and billions of dollars each year they have some really really high tech uh weaponry and uh, compared to Gaza, they don't have anything there. I think they're they're just trying to eat and get to the next day and make sure their power's on more than a few hours a day so they can do anything. 
Yeah, what's up, Pat? How you doing, man? Oh, I was just going to say, how do you think this would go over in America? How, Or I guess my question is, how would the U.S. press handle it if the United States started shooting uh, people at the Mexican border? Oh, it would just be a civil war. I mean, I, I don't. What, what else could there? What else could happen? Uh, yeah, I don't know if this happens in the U.S. First of all, I don't know if our border patrol is able to pull that trigger. Um, the you know the the propaganda in Israel is so thick that you know the Israeli people I think really feel like the Palestinian people are an existential threat to them. And I don't really think that there's all that many Americans that really believe that the Mexicans wake up in the morning uh, to come kill us, maybe to come to our country, maybe to come steal from us, but not to come kill us because, you know, they're met. It's a, it's a different kind of, uh, you know, dichotomy. So I, I do think it, you know, it would be harder to enlist not only kind of the, the media gloss over of it and, you know, our judicial branch just sit on their hands, but also just the people who enforce this. I don't know if, you know, you're a border guard and you see a four-year-old Mexican girl walk into the border, if you're willing to shoot her in the head. No. So I guess to kind of wrap this or take this back to the Trump speech, Trump was claiming that Mexico had 40,000 murders last year. I was trying to do some research. I just, I didn't see any numbers even close to this. Um, I don't know if you guys know any more about know anything more about that. But yeah, he was saying there was forty thousand murders last year. He was saying things like, uh, you know, the people in um, El Paso, Texas, and San Antonio that you know, right across the border wall, they have tons and tons of murders, just multiples more. Um, so he said, if we had a wall, we wouldn't need the military. We'd have a wall. Um, again, we we have to use eminent domain to take so many people's property. Um, and like you said, I mean, what other choices there unless you just start shooting people? And I think U.S. politicians are obviously very wrong. They're not as smart as they think they are. But in their mind, everything is very much calculated. It's like, uh, you know, Trump's one of the few politicians that gets up there and you can tell he wings it. You can tell he doesn't have speechwriters because he just throws out numbers. He like pauses and uh, just throws out another number. And for the most part, we can get to this a little later, but during the question and answer period, he just he either doesn't answer the question or um, just tells people to sit down and shut up. And uh, it's, it's very bizarre to watch. I know as far as the, the numbers go on the homicides in Mexico, that 40,000 is an inflation. Uh, I know the stat he's talking about. I believe it was like 36.5 or so is the number that they put up this year. Is so he definitely... Uh, that well, that's the number that they put out as, as far as murders go. When I talked to Brian Sadie on my show last year about this same group, the number they put out was 30,000, and he said that was overinflated. And he gave like a few different reasons, uh, kind of conflating missing people with uh, you know, people actually murdered. And then I guess there's just situations in Mexico where. Uh, you know, people like kind of leave the country and, you know, maybe go to the United States or go somewhere else and then are ended up counted as dead and just shit, shit like that. You know what I mean? And so yeah. they, they definitely just do everything to get that number as high as possible. So that number is probably inflated. That said, Mexico is an extremely murderous country and largely it's because of the drug trade. Exactly. Imagine you had this situation in Mexico, right? Where, uh, I don't know what percentage of their economy is the drug trade, but it's a, it's a huge percentage. So think of America. If, um, 
you know, maybe our energy sector became completely black market. And so, you know, 20% or, you know, 15% of our economy has to operate in the black market. What happens then? How, how could society live like that? And this is, you know, the situation in Mexico with the war on drugs and everything. And yeah. there's plenty of fault to blame, uh, you know, for the, to the Mexican people and to the Mexican government that's been extremely corrupt and everything, uh, but they don't have much of a chance. But it's still not even as big of a narco state as Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. I th I'm sure you guys heard about that story. It's only like 40 kilos of cocaine were being brought back from these two green berets and they got caught. Um, that was just one case. I mean, imagine how extensive this is. And we've known about this. I mean, I'm sure you guys are aware of the Gary Webb case where he got suicided. And, uh, you know, he was basically un uncovering a lot of that what was happening with the drug trade. You know, everybody's in on it. Everybody's in on it. And that's the crazy part. I mean, even listening to Trump in a speech, he kind of sounds like he either has like a really bad uh, uh, cold or he's doing a bunch of cocaine because during like each breath, like he he does like this big like sniff, like, you know, before each breath. And it just sounds like he's either got a cold or there's been many speeches where it's just like, man, that guy is doing cocaine before he got up on the stage. Like, well, what else could, could explain that? Um, I don't think he does coke. He doesn't even drink. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, what, he, that's what he that, says. That's that what he says. And that's did you guys have a number on the Mexican homicides? I think the Guardian had a story that there were 16,000 in the first half of 2018, and that was up 16% over the year prior. So it is close to 30,000, 32,000. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I, <laughs> I, I do think that's an inflated number, though. I'm not saying that it's like, you know, 10,000. It's just that they, they put a lot of fluff in there, uh, things that probably aren't actual murders uh, to increase that number. But and the I don't, higher, the I don't have a better stat for you either. The yeah, higher number they can do, the more, that, they, so, you know, you can't trust it. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's in Trump's interest to give as high a number as you can without it being too sketchy. Um, now, I'm sure you guys heard about that one case recently about it was John Galton got killed. And looking over the details, it pretty much looks like, you know, hey, you have these two white people. They're living in one of the worst areas in uh, Anarchopoco. Not that's the festival. I forget what the town is called. Acapulco. Acapulco, yeah. And um, they're living in the worst area there. And they're, fr from what I understand, they were selling weed and coke out of their place, and uh, they were making cannabis concentrates. So anyway, you you got into a beef with somebody, and the guy. One guy pays the cartel a few bucks and they go do a drive-by and he's dead. Um, that was obviously a big case. I mean, stuff like that happens all the time, but it's exactly what we're talking about, the black market there. Um, there's a pretty penny you can make off weed and coke. Otherwise, that stuff would be very, very cheap if it was sold in 7-Eleven. Um, it's extremely cheap in Colorado where it's legal now. Uh, even with the taxes, it's very, very cheap. I mean, I have some friends who they're paying like $60, $70 an eighth. You can get that here for like 10 15 bucks you know, better quality. That's just, there, there would be no money to be made in this industry if uh, it wasn't illegal. And um, one thing about Mexico that people don't see, a lot of people don't understand, they're not as high tech with like their data collection and all that stuff. Like for example, I was talking to one person because I was saying like, look, uh, I read this one article that said close to a million Americans live in Mexico illegally. Now, I'm sure you guys know that like over half of the people that are considered illegal immigrants in the U.S. are just overstayed their visa. I mean, that is not by any means related to just them hopping over the border. They just overstayed their visa. So they're already here partially legally. It just time passed and that was that. Um, 
but but yeah, I I think in Mexico they, their data collection is not as accurate. It's not they can't uh, they don't have the means to do it accurately. So um, a lot of people living in Mexico did did do that to escape drug charges, like that John Galton and Lily Forrester. That's why they were in Mexico because they had drug charges in the U.S. They somehow made it across, and uh, you know that guy's dead now. Um, so there are a lot of people living in Mexico that technically shouldn't be there for talking about legality. So yeah, I think just the, the inflated numbers are just a political talking point. It may very well be close to 40,000, but you know, either way, it's just back to if we just ended the drug war, we would end the problem. And we'll, we'll get to some more disturbing things Trump said in a minute. I don't know if you guys had anything else to add there. Well, does anybody know that chick got out of jail? I saw uh, Thaddeus Russell tweeting about her and trying to raise some money for her legal fees. Oh, she was in jail? Yeah. Uh, she got arrested somewhere along the line, I think in Mexico for something. But yeah. they were going to like, send her back to the U.S. if uh, you know she I don't know, was able to fork over like 2500 bucks or something like that. So, uh, I mean, hopefully she does. You know, Poor girl's probably been through enough. Yeah, I, I imagine one thing that kind of got her in trouble is like, you know, right as this, right as her husband gets killed, she goes live streaming on Facebook saying, you know, help me, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know even if, if up to this point we know their real names because obviously they're using some um, fake name that they've been using down there. I don't even know if we know that John Galton's real name because obviously John Galton that's uh, playing off John Galt from Ayn Rand. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know, you know if we know these people's names by now. I didn't know she got arrested though. I noticed that... Um, Within a few days after that happened, a lot of people were sending her money, and then her Facebook profile just disappeared. I imagine um, they may have suspected that she was in on it because it's a little bit odd that uh, your husband just gets killed, and like a few hours later, you know, you're like PayPal me, pay, pay, PayPal me here. I mean, you know, probably she needed the money because she had nothing left. But at the same time, it still probably looks sketchy from their point of view. Like, hey, like you're asking for money, your husband just died. It's a little bit odd. I, I, I can see that. So that's I, I didn't know she got arrested. That's crazy. You know, I was going to mention there's an episode of uh, Unregistered with Thaddeus Russell where he interviews a border agent. Did you guys listen to that show? I've never listened to Thaddeus Russell except on Tom Woods. I'll write it down. I only listened to him when Scott was on. There's, there's, a, there's some good episodes. I'm not a regular listener, but I at least... This one was really interesting. It was about a border guard and his decision to leave the border guards. Um, so kind of like a, um, who's our friend, the police officer, Rayford Davis incident, except with the, the border guard. It was, it was pretty promising, pretty interesting too. Cause he talked about his time, uh, going through training and how he came to libertarianism. So, um, I just typically don't like Thaddeus as Ru Thaddeus Russell's postmodernist. Um, you can impregnate a tree technically because you just change definitions. Like I just don't, I just don't really buy the postmodernist argument. But he's a smart guy. I've listened to him on Tom Woods a few times. But I'll write down Thaddeus Russell border guard. Give that a listen. Oh yeah, I'm not personally a big fan of Thaddeus Russell, but he has some interesting content for sure. So I like Thaddeus. I like as like just somebody to listen to. I feel like I would like like hanging out and talking to that dude. You know what I mean? Um, I don't agree with all of his postmodernist stuff, but uh, he. I mean, he made some solid arguments, and he's not coming at it as a hack 
or I, I think uh, disingenuous in any way. Oh, and he has so a I very, like very interesting, film. very interesting life story growing up with you know revolutionary Marxist parents, and I think he grew up in Berkeley. A uh, very interesting story. Uh, um, but yeah, I, just, I, I think didn't he go to Harvard with Tom? I think he went to Harvard. Yeah, I believe they're there at the same time, or they were at a Ivy League school at the same time. Maybe it was Columbia. See, the way that guy talks, you know, he seems like a more than average guy where you listen to Tom for five minutes and it's like, okay, this guy went to Harvard. Like, he's got the vocabulary, he's got the wit. Um, Thaddeus Russell seems like a more of a normal guy. I like the guy. I just, uh, he, he said some things that seem questionable. And I, I think at the end of the day, I don't really buy the argument that, you know, we can just change definitions if we don't like things the way they are and that's kind of what marxists do but i don't i don't think he's a marxist just uh you know he came from marxist so maybe it's hard to escape that <laughs> I, I just personally i find him kind of ostentatious but that's just me yeah just like uh you know the only reason you don't understand my postmodernism is because you don't understand my postmodernism <laughs> you know yeah or or in just the way he talks and enunciates i don't know <laughs> but, uh, I'm sure he's fine. You know, I don't have anything against him personally, except he was on, you know, uh, he was on with Dave Smith and then horribly butchered the the Declaration of Independence, saying that like, um, not all, all men are not created equal because some men are born tall and some are born short, like some horrible mischaracterization of Thomas Jefferson. I wonder if many people know that the reason they changed it from life, liberty, and property to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is because they were aware of slaves. Like, they didn't want to make it sound like if we have life, liberty, and property, that means, you know, property over people because that kind of contradicts the whole equal, uh, equal natural rights. And, you know, we're all endowed by our creator, um, you know, equality among men. It was contradicting, and they were aware of that. Um, I think the mainstream view is that they were slave owners. They loved slavery. Um, I think John Jay, it was before 1800, had a bill trying to be passed, forget if it was in like um, Vermont or something like that, where they were trying to end slavery. It was a bill to end slavery and it just got shut down. Most people don't know anything about that. They have uh, very, very warped sense of history where, you know, the only thing you can say about the founding fathers is that they own slaves, like, you know, real in depth, you know. <laughs> Who was just saying that bit about, um, geez, what was it? Someone was just talking about this on their show. Was it CJ, Prof. CJ from Free Man Beyond the Wall? Do you remember, Stephen? I do not. I I'm so far behind on podcasts. Like I haven't even done my podcast in a while. I'm probably going to use this episode as one of my next podcast episodes because a lot of my guests just uh, cancel and just uh, push back. So I have episodes coming, but I'm so far behind. School crushes me. <laughs> Yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> well, um, no, someone was just talking, though, about how they changed it from life, liberty, and property to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I don't know if it was CJ or someone else. Like, yeah. I vaguely remember where I was when I was listening to it, but not what show it was. Do you yeah. ever get that? I, 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 yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, Kevin Gutzman is really good on this, and a lot of people yeah. don't like Kevin Gutzman, especially if they're ANCAPs like most of us. Um, because you know, he's, they, they call him a neocon. He's absolutely not a neocon. He's a Jeffersonian conservative. And that guy, I think he told me once, like he has like 160 IQ and he wasn't joking. Like that guy knows an, a lot. That guy knows a lot. Like, uh, Tom was asked 
on Michael Malice's show, you're, you're welcome. He was asked, you know, who do you think is smarter, Kevin Goodsman or Jordan Peterson? And Tom was like, you know, Jordan Peterson definitely knows a lot of stuff. He knows a lot about psychology, but I would say Kevin Goodsman. So that's a pretty telling thing to say. <laughs> I, I believe it. I've, you know, I always learn something new from Kevin Goodsman every single time that the guy uh, makes a post or anything. I just always learn something new. <laughs> Yeah, right. And I don't, I think that sometimes libertarians fall into this trap of not appreciating people just because they're not an ANCAP or a voluntarist. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a very good reason to completely disregard what people have to say. Like, even in my criticisms of Thaddeus Russell, you know, yeah. there's still, he still brings stuff to the table. So I didn't mean to trash him like that. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's a little different when, you know, all of us ANCAPs are just together giving our opinion. But yeah, in general, like, you know, if you're talking to somebody, there's no reason to denounce them because they're not an ANCAP yet. I mean, you know, if you yell at them, they'll definitely never become an ANCAP. There's got to be, that's one of my only complaints about Lark and Rose because I love the guy, but he, every single post, it feels like he's yelling at you. You know, like uh, if you say anything that Trump did that was good, you know, you're just uh, basically praising the orange Fuhrer. You know, it's just, uh, I wonder as, inspirational as he is like how many people does he push away just because like people are like man why are you so angry larkin i don't understand <laughs> yeah i was never really big into larkin rose in the sense that i mean the can candles in the dark is great and everything but he's just not one of the main people that i followed and that's you, nothing against him at all what do you think about larkin dan because i i know you've uh you've met him Maybe in person, he's. It's it's hard to get a sense of people's tone of voice when they're typing on Facebook. But I know you've met him in person. Maybe you have a different view than me. I just I feel like he's a little bit harsh. I like him just fine. Uh, he's purposefully harsh when he's debating somebody in Facebook because it's not for the debate. It's for the audience. It's for people seeing. That's what I figure. Watching, you know, when he's uh, interacting with people on an individual basis, face to face, he's much more uh, accommodating and tries to find a common ground he uses his you know the tactics that he talks about in the candles of the dark candles in the dark and uh yeah he he, he makes a distinction between what he does for basically people to watch you know gladiatorial combat style versus the uh interpersonal connection that you you don't really have an audience for you're just really trying to interact with one person fair enough fair enough well i guess we could talk a little more about Trump signing this national emergency order. So, uh, so one of the excuses he used to justify this, he said, quote, uh, it's been signed many times before, signed by other presidents since 1977 or so. There's rarely, rarely been a problem. Then sign it. Nobody cares. So it, it was funny. Another way he justified it was saying that he's basically just taking Obama's national emergency order, which I forget what that was over. And he's, he's saying, you know, Obama did this. You know, we're kind of just uh, extending what Obama did. That was a really, uh, it was a really telling admission, but um, you know that's one of one of the ways he's justifying this. So, do any of you guys know any more about the constitutionality of this? Because this must be unconstitutional. It has to be. Everything they do is unconstitutional, but they don't. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, they'll find a way to justify it, and then when it goes to the courts, they might find it unconstitutional if it even gets there. Right. But it, you know, it's ex post facto. It's like way down the line. And it's always this incremental creep, you know? It's uh, the ratchet effect like Higgs talks about. There's always some emergency or some crisis, and they use that to grab more power, and then they back off just a little bit, but not quite as far as prior to the event. And then it just keeps growing and growing. And before you know it, 
you thought you were standing on level ground, but it's actually been a very steep slope. So if you rip Van, Van Winkled like 20, 30, 40 years uh, and then woke up and looked back, you'd be like, holy crap, this is so different. But because people live through it, it seems like it's just pretty minor changes. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you know about this, Pat? Because you're the lawyer here. Yeah, admin law was never really my thing. Um, I did pretty well in constitutional law, but when it comes to the powers of the executive, they don't really teach you that much about it, especially in bar review, except, um, I don't know, sometimes you study like the impeachment stuff, but it's a very broad brush stroke kind of thing, and it's not very narrowly focused on these specific issues unless you took admin law and then you probably know a little bit more about it and that's one of the reasons the constitution like it, it was great in theory like I'm, I'm definitely willing to entertain the idea that it was the best attempt we've ever had to set up a limited government uh with uh limited powers and their only goal of the government is to protect our natural rights but it, it can't be possible because when you have the same government that interprets the own law they're supposed to be abiding by what do you think they're going to interpret the law as? You know, over time, maybe they're strict constitutionalists, but over time, they're just going to interpret it to be able to imply whatever they want to imply. And I think FDR, well, Wilson too, Wilson and FDR really set the precedent where, you know, you just apply whatever the hell you want. Uh, you know, general welfare, that means, uh, you know, set up a, a new deal. Now we have the Green New Deal trying to be passed right now, which <laughs> that's like a whole other discussion. The stuff in that was just, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, sounds like it was written in, in like an eighth grade civics class. You know, I, <laughs> I don't know if you guys read it. It was really, really um, basic in the sense that like there was like hardly any thought put into it. Just like a kid wrote it. <laughs> while we're while we're um, on this real quick, Pat, I just have a question. I, I know like on the executive order piece, like the Supreme Court has ruled like the executive has power when he's acting uh, in line with Congress, less power if it's like ambiguous as to congress's position and then you know doesn't really have power if he's acting you know kind of indifference with congress and it would seem that with congress just passing a spending bill that didn't include funding for a wall he would be acting out of line with congress does that all apply to the kind of what we're looking at here or am i just taking two different things and trying to force them together well, um, actually, I don't know. I don't really know too much about this portion of the law because I always kind of focused on how the separation of powers emerged. And I guess my focus is more of the role of judicial review and, uh, you know, with the judicial branch in that sense. But at least you would think he would have more credence if the Congress backed him. You know, essentially, right. what, essentially what Trump was saying is that um, I guess there was something else Trump that tried to do in the past. It went to court, got shot down in court, went back to court, um, then eventually got sent to the Supreme Court and they won in su the Supreme Court. So basically Trump was saying, you know, look, um, I'm going to sign this national emergency order. I'm going to get sued or our, our administration is going to get sued. It's going to go to court. We may lose in court, but eventually we'll be winning. You know, we'll, we'll get it to the Supreme Court and they'll uh, interpret it the way he wants them to interpret it because he just knows that's going to happen somehow. Uh, that was basically what he said. I mean, I, I should have wrote down the exact quote, but that's you know more or less exactly what he said. It's going to go to court, then eventually the Supreme Court, and then you know that'll just roll in favor of me. <laughs> but anyway, oh, go ahead, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, I'm sure like he probably asked somebody these questions and they told him they were like, yes, Mr. President, believe me, it, it may, you know, get challenged at first, but eventually you will win. And I, I don't know. I, I'm starting to think more and more that Donald Trump probably takes a lot of really bad advice. And, and that's what's going on with a lot of his policy. He lives in his own little world. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, one really, really creepy part. I mean, just try to envision how creepy this is. So there's people in the audience, um, like mothers and fathers and uh, kids that have lost a family member, so supposedly from illegal immigrants. A legal immigrant hit them with a car or killed them in some other vicious way. Uh, there was one point in the speech where Trump tells one of the, one of the women, uh, this one woman who her daughter was killed. And he was basically just like, can you stand up real quick and just show us your beautiful daughter that got killed? I was like, holy crap. That's just that's just a really really weird thing, you know. Imagine you're sitting in the audience and you know you're told to stand up and show like a picture of your dead kid, and just wave it around, just like total virtue signaling uh, on behalf of Trump. And he does it again. Uh, and in fact, a few minutes after that, um, he asked another woman to stand up and you know show your beautiful face and uh, show your beautiful child and show your beautiful family. Um, just totally utilizing, obviously, just utilizing them for his own political gain in that moment. He does it near the end of the speech too. Um, you guys think that's creepy, right? It's not just me. Now, I remember when he did that as first State of the Union, and I thought the same thing. I was like, you know, this is just kind of gross to stand on the graves of these children uh, to demonize a group of people like the Mexicans. And the way he defends ICE is by basically using the sexual predator argument that, you know, ICE may do a few bad things, but look, I mean, you know how many sexual traffic traffickers they, st they stopped? And of course, nobody nobody wants nobody promotes sexual traffickers. I mean, these people uh, can be thrown in a meat grinder for all I care. But it's we, no one really knows. No one really knows to what extent um, this is actually happening. Versus, they should just end the drug war. I mean, that's that's probably a huge part of it. Um, it's it's just crazy. There, there, there's a lot of creepy things said in the speech. Um, you know, getting to the drug part, he said that. Last year, 70,000 people were killed by drugs such as meth, heroin, and fentanyl. Now, from what I understood, um, 70,000 were probably killed by just the opioid crisis alone, just like the fentanyl and the prescription drugs. And uh, uh, you know, a lot of people were just killed by legal routes. <laughs> and essentially, he was going on to say that when he met with President Xi in China, um, this is probably the most creepy part of the whole speech, is that he said, quote, their criminal list is much tougher than ours. Their criminal lists, a drug dealer gets a thing called the death penalty. It's like, it's like what, are you, what are you saying? And he says, our criminal list, a drug dealer gets a fine. Now, he very, very much insinuated that, you know, if we want to get rid of the drug problem quick, have a death penalty for drug dealers. I kid you not, you guys can go listen to the speech. So I said the speech is about an hour long. Listen to about like 13 to 15 minutes. You'll see all the stuff word for word. Um, totally bizarre. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine... A day where, <laughs> imagine you get caught like selling a gram on the school on the schoolyard, and you know you're just, you, you, it's just totally crazy. It's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around in this country, at least. It sounds like Duarte in uh, Philippines. Is that where he's from? He was talking about killing the drug dealers. Yeah.
Yeah, he's waged an absolutely brutal drug war, and I think he actually had to dial it down quite a bit after some uh, young pretty girls got shot unnecessarily. Uh, but yeah, like at one point there were just like cases in the Philippines that where if you accuse somebody of being do, uh, being a drug dealer or user, you shoot him in the head and leave him on the side of the street, and that was that. And there was a whole bunch of really nasty, like, footage coming out of there. Like I said, I think uh, eventually got dialed down just because, like, the the public uh, and the international media. I'm not sure about the Philippines media. The Philippines is a really interesting country that I'm trying to learn more about. Just uh, there's, like, a large Muslim separatist group in the uh, south of that country. And I think, what was it, 2017, they seized a pretty major city and fought a three-month insurgency against the Philippines government. So, like, there's a lot going on there. But part of it is is that, you know, Duarte has waged this brutal drug crackdown and tried to use this very ham-fisted way of, uh, you know, getting it to work. Unfortunately, or I guess, unfortunately, unfortunately, whatever, the hell it is uh it hasn't really worked i from the way i understand it and that the philippines has an ongoing drug problem uh the taliban likewise tried this and i believe in like 1999 2000 when they were seeking international recognition uh before the 9-11 attacks and then the eventual u.s invasion they actually reduced afghans uh opium like use and production of opium to just about zero and the way they did this is by killing I, I read somewhere, you know, pretty much, you know, the as a, a joke or a metaphor, you know, they saw a red flower, they were going to kill you because, you know, poppy red flower. Right. So, uh, you know, just if you're going to be absolutely ruthless about it, I guess you can, you know, scare everybody out doing drugs or kill the people who are going to do them anyways. Uh, but you have to be absolutely 100% ruthless. I guess at the same time, you know, the tougher the drug laws are, imagine how much more the drugs actually go for. I think for many people, it's like, you know, bigger risk, but bigger reward. That's always how it works. I mean, uh, it's just totally crazy. I think you're right that it doesn't work. And in fact, um, didn't Portugal see like a huge decrease in drug use when they legalize pretty much everything? That was many yeah, years ago. I, but... I know less about that. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. But I mean, honestly, they can't even keep drugs out of prison here. So to think yeah. that a wall is really going to help, um, yeah. I, I, I really don't see it. But anyway, I need to drop. I have my economics group. Yeah, I got to drop too. I'll, I'll be there in about five minutes. I just there's there's just like two more points I want to cover, and like I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to add. That um, you know, Trump is essentially a Keynesian. He was talking about how um, one person was asking him during the questioning period, um, "Are you ever going to remove these tariffs from China?" And Trump's just going on and on and on, saying, "Look, uh, I, you're talking to the wrong guy. I personally love the tariffs. Uh, we're getting billions and billions and billions of dollars." You know, he says it just like that. Um, from these tariffs. And, you know, he said, I'd be happy to remove the tariffs if uh, China cooperates with us. And essentially what he's saying is that, you know, China better do exactly what I want them to do, you know, A, B, C, D, A to Z. And uh, otherwise we're going to keep the tariffs. And he's, he just makes it sound like he's such a bully. Like he could say it in such a different way and make it sound more reasonable. And then another point, um, this was around the 26 minute mark. He said, I'm a big deficit believer, man. That's uh, exactly what Paul Krugman says, isn't it? He's essentially a Keynesian. So. Well, did you really expect anything else? <laughs> no, uh, no. I, th- I think a lot of people, they were excited that he was talking down about the Fed. But when that whole story came out, the reason he was mad at the Fed is because they were raising rates. 
<laughs> like the exact thing the Austrians say should happen is like, you know, the rates have to go up. Uh, you have to reallocate the malinvestments because they need to be uh, managed quick, sooner rather than later. You know, the longer you let the hangover go on and you keep drinking, uh, the worse that hangover is going to be once you have to endure it. Um, the next crash is going to be bad. I mean, Peter Schiff isn't kidding. Yep. I was going to have one note, Kyle, about the, the poppy fields. I yeah. feel like, um, you know, in a country like Afghanistan, where there isn't a whole lot of the country that is, you can actually grow agriculture and poppy cultivation has to happen out in the open. Probably the only reason that really worked is that, you know, it was pretty visible where the poppy crop was and they could go shut it down. The Taliban could in that area. Um, but like here in the United States and, and maybe... I don't know, maybe I'm mistaken that there's areas in Afghanistan where you could kind of hide away, I guess, up in the mountains. But the Taliban are up in there anyways, aren't they? Yeah, so I, I know a lot of the poppy cultivation has always been from, like, I think it's the Helmand River Valley, where you have, like, this uh, glacial river that runs down. And, um, and so, yeah, I guess that probably would make it easier to monitor is just knowing that, like, you know, there's a stretch road that people could grow poppy on. Now, just an interesting, really quick story here is back under the Obama years, they gave all these guys, uh, they always ran on diesel pumps, you know, pumping the water out of the river to, like, uh, you know, irrigate their crops. So the Obama administration was like, what we're going to do is we're going to give them solar powered pumps, but that way they could grow other crops that take, you know, more um, water. Right. Well, it turns out that they just decided to pump a whole bunch more water and grow a whole bunch more poppy than they ever had before. <laughs> so that's great. That's kind of like, um, God, um, we meant well, where he's talking about how in this is in Hooper's war too, where he's talking about how, um, they have this program where they were going to buy everyone like a goat or some livestock. And so they went around throwing us dollars anywhere and everywhere and it turns out that the price of all the livestock just shot up because everyone <laughs> who was selling in iraq knew that they could sell their livestock for a shitload of american dollars you know kind of related um i gotta hop off hop off after the statement and by the way are any of you guys available maybe tomorrow for like kind of a part two because you know we're like just getting into the weeds here <laughs> i might have to go skiing okay well we need, to do, a part, we need to do part two yeah possibly i don't know what i'm doing tomorrow yet yeah, but anyways, there was a story that came out, and I think it was kind of like part of history that was uncovered. Uh, one of the tactics that Nazi Germany used was um, to print up a bunch of like, I don't even know if it was like considered real or fake money. I don't know what materials they use. They would just drop like all these uh, piles of cash in these countries to try to devaluate their uh, currency. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it makes sense. <laughs> Literally helicopter money. Did you guys hear about that? No, but that is, I mean, that's absolutely, like, in, in a very evil way, it's an absolutely brilliant thing to do. Yeah. Because it would be incredibly destabilizing if you were able to isolate pockets of the country, or if it's a small country, and just drop a crate full of cash on it, you know, a country that already has limited resources, that would that could wreak havoc. Oh, yeah, because uh, Hitler was well aware of what happened in the Weimar Republic. I mean, I think... At one point, you literally needed like a wheelbarrow full of money to buy just your regular, you know, what they have to do in Venezuela now. It's like uh, buy uh, a round of eggs. I did the math the other day about like four US dollars is about a million boulevards. 
you know, so you could be a millionaire in Venezuela. Everybody's a millionaire in Venezuela, essentially. Is that the, <laughs> is that the official exchange rate or the actual one? I, I, I don't know. That's a good question because I imagine it's so volatile. I don't know how often they update that exchange rate. We may be looking, it, it might be $2 it makes you a millionaire there. I don't know. It's uh, their inflation rate just over the past year, it jumped from like, you know, up 100% to up 5,000%, up like 20,000%, just like, it's just total crazy changes. I mean, what, what would it, what would it mean to be for, for our dollar to be 20,000% inflated? Uh, wow. I, I'd have to do some math, but that's hard to fathom. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Well, uh, I got to go hop in my nerd group, but so I'll try to do part two here soon. Cause I, uh, the next thing I wanted to get to, if we had time was to talk about the tariffs because essentially Trump is saying that these steel tariffs are working great. You know, the steel industry is booming. And when I was doing research on this, um, you know, but Bush passed a lot of steel tariffs. I think it was in like 2002, 2003, and they were devastating because like 98% uh, of the businesses that use steel are small businesses, businesses with like less than 500 people. So it's a lot more to talk about. Hmm. All right, we'll All right, see you later, Stephen. All right, see you guys.